dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, I chose an episode of X-1 entitled Cold Equations, adapted from a short story by Tom Godwin. X-1 premiered on NBC April 24th, 1955. The first 15 episodes of X-1 reused scripts from Dimension X, a short-lived science fiction anthology series from 1950. But the rest of the series featured new adaptations of stories by contemporary science fiction authors, as well as original scripts from NBC staff writers Ernest Canoy and George Lefferts. During its three-year run, X-1 produced 126 episodes, including short stories from Ray Bradbury, Robert Heinlein, Philip K. Dick, and Isaac Asimov. Godwin's original short story, The Cold Equations, first appeared in the August 1954 issue of Astounding Science Fiction magazine, and according to editor John Campbell, went through multiple revisions before publication. The ending in particular was something Campbell insisted upon, but we'll talk about that later. In the years since its publication, the story has proven as controversial as it is popular. Many have raised the question of plagiarism, pointing to the Cold Equation's similarity to the EC Comics' 1952 weird science story, The Weighty Decision. Despite these allegations, Godwin's story was selected for inclusion in the first volume of the Science Fiction Hall of Fame, published in 1970. The story has also been adapted for television several times, including the 1980s revival of The Twilight Zone and a 1996 sci-fi channel made-for-TV movie. And now, let's listen to Cold Equations from X-1, broadcast August 25th, 1955. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Countdown for blast off. X-5... Four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story, Cold Equations. There is no margin of safety along the rim of a frontier. There can't be any until the way is made for those who come later. Until then, the penalty for mistakes is a grim one. 
The laws of physical nature operate with irrevocable certainty, with no room for mercy, kindness, or sentimentality. In space, life becomes a cold equation, and the equal sign is often followed by death. I know. I'm the pilot of an EDS. Come in. You sent for me, Commander? Yes. Sit down, Barton. <clears throat> we just got an ED from the Territorial Space Station on Woden. Uh, Woden. That's in the Crab Nebula, isn't it? That's right. There are two exploration parties there on Manning's Continent. Eight men each. Mm-hmm. They've got cala fever in one of them and no serum. Oh, and I thought this was going to be a nice, quiet passenger run. Computers are working out your payload and your course right now. In exactly ten minutes, we'll drop into normal space and launch your ship. I'll get her ready. One thing. What's that? Woden is at the maximum pay limit for an EDS. Figuring the weight of the serum, we'll be able to give you just enough fuel to land on Manning's Continent if you make it the first pass. Otherwise, you'll burn out in midair. Mm-hmm. Standard procedure. Report to launching control. Right. Good luck, Barton. Thanks. Oh, uh, by the way... Yes? When can I expect to be picked up? We'll make a stop on the run back to Earth sometime next year. You'll be notified by radio. Okay. Sorry, we can't make it sooner. <laughs> That's what happens when you sign on for EDS work. I'll see you next year, Commander. Down in the belly of the Stardust, the crew was working like beavers to get the EDS, the emergency dispatch ship, ready. Mechanics and technicians were swarming all over the place. Girls in inspectors' uniforms were checking the gauges in the supply cabinet. Nine minutes later, the exact course was in the computer. The serum was stowed in my supply cabinet closet, and little EDS 4G3 was ready to be born into space. Martin? Yes, sir? 30 seconds to blast off. All set? All set. I'm turning you over to traffic. Ready. Traffic control. Come in, EDS 4G3. Ready. 20 seconds. Lock open. 15 seconds. Space drive on. Space drive on. 10 seconds. Gravity neutralizer on. Neutralizer on. 5 seconds. 4, 3, 2, 1. Blast off. I don't remember how long it was afterwards that I first noticed something wrong. Maybe an hour, maybe two. There was nothing to show it except the needle and the heat gauge. It was on zero when we left the stardust, and now I noticed that it had crept up toward the 30 mark. That meant something inside the ship was radiating heat. That something was in the supply closet, and it was alive. All right, come out. Whoever or whatever you are, if you don't come out in five seconds, I'm going to blast you. One. Two. Well, I'll be... Hello. I'm Marilyn Lee Cross. What are you doing in there? I'm a stowaway. Oh, my... What's the matter? Do I have to pay a fine or something? What are you doing here? I wanted to see my husband. Who's your husband? He's with the government survey crew on Woden. I haven't seen him since he left Earth four years ago. Okay. But what made you hide in my EDS? I have a job waiting for me on Mimir. 
But I heard you were going to Woden, and there was plenty of room, so I hid. Oh, I knew I'd be breaking some kind of rule, but uh, what's one little rule? What's one little rule? H amount of fuel will power an EDS with a mass of M safely to its destination. H amount of fuel will not power an EDS with a mass of M plus X safely to its destination. Well, how could she be expected to know? She was 5'2 with brown curly hair and the faint sweet smell of perfume. She was 5'2 and she smelled like apple blossoms. And her name was X in an equation that would have to be balanced. Stardust. Come in, EDS. Come in. This is Barton, emergency dispatch pilot, 4G3. Go ahead. Give me Commander Delhart. What's the message, EDS? I have to consult Commander Delhart. The commander is busy. Listen, you squirt. Give me Commander Delhart. One moment, 4G3. Commander Delhart, emergency message from EGS, 4G3. This is Delhart. What is it? At 0800 hours, I discovered... A stowaway aboard my ship. A stowaway? Yes, sir. Well, have you notified ship's records? Not yet, sir. You know the regulations as well as I do. Of course I know the regulations. That's why I'm calling. Martin, what's going on? Sir, this is a girl. A young woman. Oh. She wanted to see her husband on Woden. She didn't know what she was doing. I see. I wondered, sir, maybe the cruiser could... Change course or something? I'm afraid not. We're hundreds of light years apart now. We have a limited fuel supply ourselves with 900 passengers. Is there any chance? No. Okay, Skipper. Better get the information to ship's records. Okay. Martin. Skipper. I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. our acceleration, didn't you? Yes. Why? Well, save fuel for a while. How did you manage to stow away? I was taking a language lesson in memories from a girl in the inspection corps. The order came in for your trip, and I just went along on an impulse. It was easy. I'll be a model prisoner, I promise. If you were only a thief or a spy, it would make it easier. Make what easier? Uh, Forget it. Why couldn't she have been somebody with some ulterior motive, a fugitive, hoping to lose himself in a raw new world, a a crackpot with a mission? Why did she have to be a woman, a beautiful, kind, trusting woman? Stardust. Barton, EDS, 4G3. Go ahead, 4G3. Identify a stowaway. Give me your identification disc, Miss Cross. Here. Why? Well, it's for ship's records. Uh, identification number T-8374. One moment. This is for the gray card, of course. Yes. I'll need the time of... I'll tell you later. That's highly irregular. Then we'll do it in a highly irregular manner. The subject is a young woman. She's listening to everything that's said. Are you capable of understanding that? Oh. Go ahead, 4G3. Number T-8374... Dash Y54. Name, Marilyn Lee Cross. Female, married, 
Born July 7th, 2160. Good Lord, you're only a child. <laughs> uh, height, five feet, two inches. Weight, 110. Hair, brown. Eyes, blue. Complexion, light. Blood type, O. Original destination, Port City, Mimir. Uh, listen, I'll call you back later. Look, miss. Marilyn. Look, Marilyn. I, I guess you don't know what you got yourself into here. Well, it's like this. This ship is carrying Cala Fever Serum to the survey group on Woden. Yes. Their supply was wrecked in a tornado. The fever is always fatal unless the serum is given in the first 48 hours. Now, these little ships have exactly enough fuel to reach their destination. If you stay aboard her, your added weight will cause it to use up all its fuel before it can land. What happens then? We crash. You die, I die, and six fever victims on Woden die. Can't they send out another ship to meet us? There are no ships to send. Well, I... Oh, no. Oh, no, you you couldn't do that. That's how it has to be. But that's crazy. I haven't done anything. I I haven't hurt anybody. I'm sorry. I I should have told you before, but I, I wanted to make sure there was no other way. You mean it? You're going to make me leave this ship? That's how it is. But I'll die. I'll explode. I'll be like those horrible pictures of... Try to understand. I do understand. You're going to kill me and I didn't do anything. I know you didn't. I know you didn't. That has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with it. Nobody just dies like that for no reason. Oh, listen. Maybe there are other cruisers. Cruisers you don't know about. Maybe the radio. Maybe it... Now, listen to me. It's different here. Different from anything you've ever known. On Woden, there are 16 men. 16 men on an entire world. They're fighting. Fighting an alien environment. The environment fights back. You can only make a mistake once. And I made a mistake. Yes. There's no hope. Absolutely none. You'll have to be put out of the ship. better so. With the going of all hope would go the fear. Then would come the resignation. She needed time, and there was so little. EDS. Starship to EDS. Need pertinent data. All right, Starship. When do you expect to complete your report? I... I need a computer check. I'll give you statistics. Statistics. This is EDS 4G3. I'm intersecting course vector 7.3 at 0831. Deceleration 1750, weight one ton. I would like to stay at point 10 as long as the computers allow. Will you give them the question? Check, I'll call you back. We wouldn't have long to wait. The new factors would be fed into the steel maw of the computer bank and the electrical impulses would go through the complex circuits. Here and there, a relay would click. A tiny cog turn over. But it would be the current, formless, mindless, invisible, which would determine with utter precision how long the pale young girl beside me would live. Five little segments of metal in the second bank would trip against an inked ribbon, and the machine would spit out the answer. You will resume deceleration at 1910. It was 1810 when he spoke. One hour. She has one hour to live.
One hour? That's it. All I did was hide in a closet. And now you tell me I have to die. I don't believe it. You might as well get used to it. If this, this happened back on Earth, a thousand ships would fill the sky. The whole world would know about it. They'd do everything to save me. This isn't Earth. It was such a big dream. Jerry and I separated almost five years ago. We were too young. And I was going to see him to try to make everything all right again. I... Are you married? I was. Oh? She ran off with some guy in the weather service. Do you still think about it? I don't let myself. Where is she? Back on Earth. Look, if you don't mind, I'd just as soon talk about something else. Okay. What do you do when you've got an hour to live? What do you talk about? What's Jerry like? Jerry? Oh, he's a funny guy. When he found out, I... I mean, about the other fella. He didn't get mad. He, he cried. That was all he felt, sadness. So you walked all over him. Oh, I thought I wanted him to get mad at me, to, to be jealous. And now? I've been thinking about him for five years. So when I heard the ship was bound for Woden and I knew Jerry was there, I stowed away. I didn't know about the fuel. I didn't know this would happen to me. She had violated a man-made law that said keep out. The penalty was not of man's making or desire. It was not a penalty men could revoke. H amount of fuel will power an EDS with a mass of M safely to its destination. The time was 18.30. 40 minutes. It was beginning to get me. A space frontier is a rough place, and I'd seen a hundred men die since I left Earth. But this was different. I watched her as she wrote a message to her folks. I watched her as she fought her way through the black horror of fear toward the calm gray of acceptance. And then there it was on the view screen. The planet Woden. A red ball enshrouded in the blue haze of its atmosphere, swimming in space against the background of star-sprinkled blackness. The chronometer on the instrument panel said, 1845. Listen... We're in radio range of Woden now. I mean, would you want me to try to contact your husband? Jerry? It'd mean he would know you're going to die. There'd be nothing anyone can do. Yes. I would like to talk to him. Do you think we can? Well, the planet is turning. If his group is on the side facing us, we might be able to reach him. Oh, try. All right. Hello. Hello, Woden. EDS to Government Survey Group. Can you hear me? Come in, Woden. <laughs> they may not be monitoring. Hello. 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 Identify yourself, please. This is Government Survey Group 1 on Planet Woden. This is John Barton, EDS pilot. Do you have the serum? Yes. How bad is it? One man died last night. Six have the fever. How long will it take to... I start deceleration at 1910 hours. I should be able to land at 1930. Thank God. Uh, look, do you have a Gerald Cross in charge of the group? Commander Cross? Yes, we do. Could I speak to him? He isn't here. He's out with the survey team. Well, when do you expect him? Can't say. 
Uh, how do you read me? How much time do we have left for communication? Less than 15 minutes. All right. If Commander Cross comes back before we lose radio contact, will you have him buzz me? It's important. Okay, EDS. I'll keep the set open. Check. The minutes passed like small bits of eternity. On the view screen, I could see Manning's continent sprawled like a gigantic hourglass in the eastern sea. There was a thin line of shadow where it was beginning to disappear as the planet turned on its axis. I looked at the pale woman next to me. And I thought of another woman long ago who'd sat next to me and cried because I wouldn't try to understand. What had she written in those letters back home? What would they think of the faceless, unknown pilot who'd sent her to her death? What would I think of myself alone nights reliving this voyage? It's cold, isn't it? I'll turn up the thermostat. Nothing from Jerry? We have about two minutes of radio contact left. Maybe it's better. I mean, suppose it were you and your wife tried to call you. How would you feel? I don't know. Do you ever hear from her? I got a letter about a year ago. I tore it up. That was foolish. Yeah, it was. Life is so terribly short to be wandering around alone. Well, I... I... Wait a second, we're getting something. How much time before... before I have to leave the ship? About ten minutes. Hello, EDS. Hello, EDS. Come in. Come in. EDS. This is Woden. I have Commander Cross. All right, go ahead. Hello, this is Commander Cross. Jerry Cross? Yes. I have someone for you. Go ahead. Hello. Jerry? Hello? Jerry. Who is it? It's me, Marilyn. Marilyn. I wanted to see you again. I stowed away on the EDS. You what? But Marilyn... It doesn't matter, Jerry. All that matters is that I can tell you all the things I've kept inside for so long. Jerry, I want you to know I, I've never forgotten. Oh, it's been so many years. I, I can't believe it. I thought I'd see you again, but now I can't. Jerry, you, you don't hate me, do you? Hate you? Marilyn, I've never stopped loving you. Not for an instant. Oh, Jerry. Listen, we don't have much time. The transmission is getting fuzzy. Oh, Marilyn, I've got to see you. There's got to be some way. But there isn't. Let me talk to the pilot. Give it to me. Hello. Pilot, have you called the mothership? Did you have them checked with the computers? I've done everything. You've been on the frontier long enough to know the setup in an EDS. Oh, dear God, there must be something, some way. Do you think I'd let this happen if I wasn't sure? He tried to help me, Jerry. He tried. And it really doesn't matter. I'm not frightened anymore. Not now. But how did you get here? I don't understand. Well, I was going to Mimir to take a job, I thought. And now I realize it was... I was just going because I'd be closer to where you were. Oh, Jerry, all this time... Don't. Let me tell you something. Marilyn, I've always known you'd come back to me. I've known it every minute. It's what's kept me alive. I want you to hold that in your mind. Jerry, I... I can't hear you. We haven't much time. We're losing radio contact. Jerry! Oh, don't cry, darling. Just know how I feel. I do. It's fading. There are so many things to say. Jerry, if you can still hear me, maybe I'll come to see you again. Maybe I'll come to you in your, in your dreams, or, or be the touch of a breeze, or one of those golden-winged little birds singing my silly head off. Maybe I'll be nothing you can see or hear, but you'll know I'm there. Think of me like that, Jerry. Goodbye. Goodbye, my darling. 
She sat motionless in the hush that followed. And then she looked at me. Now? Now. I pulled down the black lever, and the inner door of the lock slid open. She walked with her head up and the brown curls brushing her shoulders. I let her do it alone. She stepped into the lock and turned to face me, and I could see the pulse in her throat. I'm ready. I pulled the red lever, and there was a slight waver as the air gushed out. I thought I sensed a bump as if something had bumped the outer door. And then there was nothing. The white hand of the closet temperature control was back at zero. A cold equation had been balanced, and I was alone in the ship. You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you Cold Equations, written by Tom Godwin and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in the cast were Court Benson as Barton, Jay Meredith as Marilyn, Milo Bolton as Commander Delhart, Bob Hastings as Jerry Cross, Jack Arthur as traffic control officer, and Walter Kinsella as the Woden Monitor. Your announcer, Bill Rippey, X-1 was directed by Ken McGregor and is an NBC Radio Network production. And now, next week, in the days of the Windjammers, Whalers sometimes went on cruises that lasted as long as two years, and so sometimes they had to resort to rough methods to gather a crew. But what of the future, when a cruise to a distant star may last for 15 years or more? We hear of such a voyage next week on... X... X... Minus... Minus... One... That was X-1 and the episode Cold Equations here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was uplifting. (laughs) Holy mother of wow. I'll just bring it out right away, uh, what we're all probably thinking, and it's fresh off of listening to it a few seconds ago. It just ended. Really? There wasn't an out? I kept waiting for it not to happen, which I guess is why, in the introduction, this is such a controversial episode. And Well, yeah, it's controversial for a number of reasons. Right. But yeah, obviously, when it was first written in 1955, that's not what people expected. This no. was kind of your classic race against the clock structure, and in those structures, usually... Yeah. The protagonists find a way to beat the clock, and as the stories I've read on the internet, so take that with like a Trump-sized grain of salt, <laughs> the, <laughs> but that Campbell insisted that the woman die at the end, and he's been quoted as saying, Godwin kept finding ingenious ways to save her, and I kept sending the story back and saying no. Well, and there are ways to save her that, you know, I was making a list of ways that this... <laughs> you were really committed to it. Well, He's like, well, if he won't save you, I will. <laughs> right? Well, that's the effectiveness of the story. Yeah. There's got to be 120 pounds of stuff you don't need you could eject off of that ship. 
Uh, they went out of their way to they, set up they that did, premise. They? they did. They I mean, did you might object to the idea that engineers would go ahead and make a ship that had just exactly the right amount of fuel. But mm-hmm. they try their best right. to explain that premise. And some people specifically, I've read engineers have a problem with it. <laughs> like, oh, you would never do that. No. Uh, but it's about a writer creating a situation to tell the story he wants to tell. And I think they set it up well. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple other uh, experiences I've had uh, that contrast interestingly. So one is I remember this so distinctly in sixth grade. We <laughs> had to kick that girl off the bus. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, there has to be another way, Tim. <laughs> nope. <laughs> We're never going to get a school in this. <laughs> this is worth it. I'm going to plow through. Okay. Yeah, do it. In sixth grade, reading the book 1984 and getting like maybe 20 pages from the end thinking, how are they going to pull this story out? I mean, <laughs> this is really a conundrum they're in. I'm going to be shocked by this resolution. And that, you know, little 11-year-old just gets to the end and, they didn't, they, what, oh, oh no. <laughs> but contrasting that with Apollo 13, which is not exactly a parallel to this story, but this impossible situation of we have this amount of power, this much amount of weight, and it's this triumphant story of we overcame all that. The I'm pilot overcame it, too, by jettisoning this stowaway. I'm, I, I guess I'm mad at Apollo 13 for making me think this could work. Yeah, right. right? I think Apollo 13 is a true story. So I'm mad at those astronauts and okay. the people on the ground for heroically saving those yeah. lives. Yeah. This fictional character couldn't do it. Yeah, if they had all died, then we would have enjoyed this story more. Damn it. I did enjoy the story. That, yes. It is a hard moment when, when she's jettisoned and... <laughs> Such a terrible word for it. But when she's put outside and, oh, the thump. There's yeah. a quick thump on the door before he hears nothing. That's horrifying. Ooh, it's it's horrifying. such a small detail. I think it's that idea of a life reduced to a thump. I think he even says, I thought I heard. So it's not even a distinctive thump. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, I heard a noise maybe and her life is over. And uh, she's yeah. so calm about it. And it happens so suddenly, in the at least in the radio adaptation, where it's like, oh, Says goodbye to her uh, husband, and she says she's ready. He hits the button, and it's over. And, you know, I'm so, as I think many of us are, so conditioned to this is the way stories work, that just in absolute denial that's going to happen. Yeah. You know, even after it's happened, that, well, there's got to be something that I missed, that the story is going to surprise me. Like, the nope. search for Spock. <laughs> yes. Spock's not dead. There's another movie coming where it's all yeah. explained away. So I should maybe get writing the sequel to this where they she's rescued at the last minute? Yes. <laughs> I wrote it in my head so that I could sleep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, even after she was outside, I was like, well, now here comes a thing to explain. And then I looked down and went, there's only 40 seconds left here. This is over. And then the announcer came on and went, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> it is a well-titled episode. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult one for me to... Decide if I like or not. So you're trying to decide between I admire the storytelling. I think it's well-structured, but Uh I did not enjoy it because it's not the kind of story I enjoy. I want my heroes to win. That's what you mean? Or do you have complaints in how it was structured? First first thing you said. I think the structure is great. I think it was a lot of great writing. I thought it was all, I mean, yes, there are some, I'm sure, engineering loopholes, but who cares? I'm struggling with enjoying it because... (laughs) <laughs> I saw Saving Private Ryan once. 
<laughs> I saw Schindler's List once. I'm not going to subject myself to that again. I got it. It's ingrained in my head forever. It will never leave me, and it was not a great feeling leaving the theater. It was, it was a difficult thing to go through. I was at a Target once where a woman grabbed a copy of Schindler's List and put it in her shopping cart, and I could not help myself. And <laughs> you I said, stopped her? I, no, I said, <laughs> I said, can I ask a question? Have you seen that? She said, yeah, it's a great movie. Oh, yeah, it's a great movie. Absolutely. Uh, when is the day coming... Well, you're going to say, you know what I feel like doing tonight? <laughs> Let's pop in Schindler's List. Today went a little too well. Let's temper that. Let's see the girl in the red dress. and You know what I mean? So yeah. that, that feeling, I guess, when I'm trying to escape from the world, it's hard for me to say, that was awesome when I feel that terrible when it's done. The power of that last moment overshadows what I think are some odd plotting moments before that. Of, you don't hear about it. How did random... No, I take that back. I was going to say, how did random woman get into this cabinet? But they did say girls in inspector jumpsuits. Like They dropped the hint about how she got in there. Yep, she just slipped in. And I mean, part of the idea behind the story, too, is that they're not that worried about it because often they're not dealing with people who aren't familiar with the unforgiving nature of space travel. She was going from earth to one other civilized colony there's a short line where she got a job yeah. um and and so she's not familiar with this type of space travel and that's the big theme of this story is the frontier they pretty much lay it all out in those opening lines which i think are pretty interesting of just about there are no margin of safety along the rim of a frontier and there's no room for mercy kindness or sentimentality it's just laid out and so i think part of their shock is that they're just used to people knowing if you stow away you're dead mm -hmm. and this is a person who just didn't know because immediately when she tells uh, her husband when she manages to make contact I i'm on the eds he's like oh my god yeah he knows yeah. right away what that means and there have obviously been some modern criticisms of it for sexism, that it was a, a woman, and ignorance of the consequences was mm -hmm. chosen to be a female. But to me, I think you have to have a certain amount of cultural relativity. This is the 1950s, stories written by men, largely for men. And yeah, it's probably a little sexist. In other news, the sky is blue. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. But I did also read, again, I don't know if it's true, that John Campbell, the editor, wanted it to be a woman. He was going for maximum manipulation because he right. knew his readers and wanted like who's somebody who no one is going to find any reason in this scenario to blame in the short story they spent a lot of time where the pilot before he opens the door and sees that it's a woman gets his blaster ready and just talks about it. if it's a guy i have no problem i'm gonna take him at gunpoint and blast him out the airlock so it's like they make a big deal out of this is very different i a hundred percent thought through most of this he was going to let her land and jettison himself. That was one thought I had. Is he going to put an automatic pilot? Is he going to try to teach her how to pilot this? Can he do that in an hour? It was set up because of their conversation about losing their relationships. Yeah. And I thought we were going down the path of these two are quickly going to fall in love. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, here we go. Like, no they're, wonder they're, you were so crushed. You saw so much potential happiness in this story. <laughs> <laughs> but the way it was being presented was they're having this conversation well yeah and i left him and da, 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 and you had that happen and hey wait a minute i thought it was going to be that moment and then that's where i went down tim's path where i thought oh he's going to fall in love with her and jettison himself yeah. or the path where she gets a gun and <laughs> yeah there's that or they found 120 pounds of stuff they could throw out the window 
They go into a little more detail in the original short story, but I think even from this radio show, it's clear that they need one person on the ship. Like, he has one pass at the planet. If he misses it, he's going to die with or without a stowaway, that Mm -hmm. there's some precision and need for a knowledgeable human pilot. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. They could have made that clear with, like, one line in here and take that hope away from you early on. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that conversation between them about the relationships going bad is meant to give us hope of a resolution. It's different in the original short story. She's going to visit her brother. And Ooh, she's gross. Even they were younger. married? <laughs> yes. Fifties <laughs> uh, were different. <laughs> I like this change of a, a strange husband. It also gives you more insight into the pilot when we get to hear that he had this bad relationship and this idea too because her estranged husband is on the planet so clearly like these guys who like their marriage goes bad and they just go off into the frontier to forget their troubles and if there's any intimation of a happy ending at all you might leave with the idea that the pilot is maybe gonna go seek out this woman who's been trying to contact him because he says oh he's gotten some letters from his Mm ex-wife but he's just throwing them away when he gets back in a year in a year after being stranded there (laughs) with a guy who just listened to his ex-wife die i mean like a seed of a potential future happy ending (laughs) that you made the choice to jettison yeah you gotta get worse than what we talk about he's gotta go he's gotta go talk to that guy and say yeah um X minus one, here's an issue I have with X minus one and in general. this is why I chose this one. I, was I know what you're going to say. You do? Yeah. Is it that they are too lighthearted often and too comic? I was like, yes. here's one. I'll show Eric. Like, <laughs> it still had its lighthearted, dumb moment. It Listeners, is, off no, the air, I'll we have this, this argument all the time about X minus one. They have a tendency to pick music that sounds like 50s educational film soundtracks. Because it was the 1950s, and I think we associate that with educational films, but that was the music that was in everything. I'm sorry, this episode was too funny for you? (laughs) (laughs) I just want something with a little more gravitas. It's the music of X minus one. They wimped out. <laughs> you can say commerce, industry over everything, all the music that X minus one is one of my favorite radio shows. I don't mind it. <laughs> it has great moments. This is my favorite by far. I knew it would the be. music just it's distracting to me. But that's my only complaint about the show. That and I'm not sure. Like for example, if you know, my daughter or my wife, who love old-time radio, said, hey, do you have something we should listen to? I don't know if I'd recommend this to him because of the ending. It's like saying, oh, yeah. be sad. I'm going to make you sad on purpose. Go listen to this. You've never given the gift of sadness before. <laughs> <laughs> Not on purpose. Plenty of times, yes. <laughs> I mean, it was a girl I kicked off the bus in sixth grade. <laughs> she shoulder-rolled. It was okay. She was was she really strong at the end? I'm not scared anymore, Tim. Oh, she cried and cried. <laughs> Other thoughts, gentlemen, on this episode? I'll say again, the terrible, terrible, unexpected bleak ending allowed for more sentimentality than I would usually be up for in a radio show, which I thought was interesting. It allowed the like last call between her and her estranged husband to be far more maudlin or it didn't feel maudlin because, you know, like, I'm going to die in seconds, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because she's talking, I'll come back to you in your dreams and maybe I'll be, be that bird who's saying, yeah, and which would be just too saccharine under other circumstances. But like they a, knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, there was some smart structuring of 
I don't know if we'll be able to get a hold of him. Okay, we got a hold of somebody, but your husband's not there. He's going to be coming back, maybe in time, maybe before we lose contact. Mm-hmm. And just narrowing that window down further mm-hmm. and further and mm-hmm. every grasp at hope you have, it gets more and more fleeting. And so you just have yeah. this one brief conversation. Yeah. But in the moment, without knowing that was coming, I admit to being a little bit of a jerk and be like, oh, yeah, you're going to come back as a birdie lady. Oh, <laughs> the, oh, no, that was the last thing you ever said to him. I'm sorry. <laughs> that goodbye was like a Ken Burns Civil War letter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sarah, when the wind blows. All right. I thanks w- for doing that to us. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Joshua. <laughs> jerk face. It was a story. It didn't really happen. <laughs> I didn't push her out the airline. <laughs> I will say it has to be, for so many reasons, a classic yeah. uh, and stands the test of time. Touch on the other controversies of this, other than a, a terrible, uh, horrific, I should say, ending, uh, that it m- was plagiarized? Just that, that I've read that some people have accused it to similar stories in EC Comics. That's about it. That controversy, this plain controversy for the bleakness and unforgiving ending. Some controversy about making it a woman. Um, But that, I think, is basically... And some people just objecting to the premise felt too manipulated by setting up the situation in which there was no other recourse but to jettison her that somehow that was manipulative. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's what a writer does is manipulate you. So I couldn't really agree with that. And I will say, uh, as one little tidbit, there is an interesting other adaptation of the story uh, from a show a couple years later called Exploring Tomorrow, which is interesting because it's hosted by Campbell, the guy who edited this short story. Um, But it's not very good. (laughs) That's the reason (laughs) I didn't bring that. It's really abridged for some reason. It's maybe... 12 minutes long. I mean, it goes so fast that it doesn't have any of the impact. Stowaway, get out of here. Yeah, it's pretty much it. It's like, yeah, <laughs> stowaway, no fuel. So sad. Bye. Just took Just, out the verbs. I think it's interesting from a historical perspective because it's actually John Campbell hosting and narrating it. He's not really a good narrator either. Guys, don't listen to this. <laughs> Tim? Yeah, I'm talking, it's, it is a classic. It is incredibly well made, a very impactful story. Circumstance test of time. I don't know that I'll be <laughs> listening to that one again. No. No, I'd never do that to myself. <laughs> I, I think it's a classic. Of course it is. And yeah, you wouldn't listen to it over and over again, but I just wanted Eric to think of this episode the next time he told me X-1 was too silly. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned. You have to admit there are some silly X-1s. There are. Yes. Most of them. Fine. Guys, this whole podcast was just a fight between me and Eric. <laughs> and made all of our listeners a part of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Tim? Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. Uh, there you'll find other episodes of this podcast, as well as information about our live shows. You'll find links to our Threadless shop, where we can sell some swag to you if you are interested in that sort of thing. You'll also find a link to our Patreon page, where you can support this podcast, because we love support. You can also find links to our Facebook and Instagram accounts and just chat with us and other fans. Yes, and uh, you can also listen to a podcast called Breaking Walls, which we are really enjoying right now. It is a history of the American radio drama done in a serialized documentary form. Uh, Check it out. It's at thewallbreakers.com. And also uh, go to iTunes and write a review for us. Make it a really depressing one. (laughs) (laughs) Make it... No, actually, give it an uplifting ending. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) The next episode is mine, and we're going to be listening to an episode of The Mystery House called The Thirsty Death 
Until then... Commerce, industry... (laughs) 